welcome to the 16th episode of the second series of Everything Under the Sun, a weekly podcast answering all the most pressing questions children around the world have about life on Earth. This weekend is Mother's Day or Mothering Sunday or Mummy's Day. So we're talking about mummies, but we're talking about the Egyptian kind and pyramids, which the Egyptians built. And we'll also be talking about families and babies. Now let's hear our first question. It comes from Arthur. And we also have the same question, a part of Arthur's question from Scarlett. These questions are about the Egyptians who are most famous for their pyramids and for mummies. Over to Arthur and Scarlett. It's Arthur. I'm seven years old and I live in London. My favourite things to do is art, singing and running around. My question is, how did the Egyptians make pyramids and why did they wrap the mummies in bandages? Bye. Hi, my name is Scarlett. I am eight years old. I like swimming, cats and travelling. My question is, how were the Egyptian pyramids built? Hi Arthur, hi Scarlett, thanks for sending me your excellent questions. To answer them for you, here is Justin Pollard, who is a historian and a writer who I met while we both worked on the television programme QI. We wrote questions for the show. Justin knows all about the Egyptians, so I thought he'd be the perfect person to answer your question. Over to Justin. Hello Scarlett and Arthur. My name's Justin Pollard. I'm a historian and writer. You wanted to know how the pyramids were built, which is a very tricky question to answer. The truth is we're not completely sure, and there are lots of ideas, some completely bonkers. Some people think spacemen built them. I don't. I think very clever ancient Egyptians built them. So let's take the example of the Great Pyramid of Khufu at Giza. That's the big famous pyramid. It was built around 2560 BC. That's four and a half thousand years ago. To make it took over two million blocks of stone, some weighing as much as 80 tonnes. That's heavier than six double-decker buses. We know most of the stones were cut in local quarries using simple copper tools. They hadn't discovered iron yet. The harder granite blocks were shaped by bashing them with lumps of a hard mineral called dolerite. These then had to be sent to the pyramid site, and this was probably done using sledges, as we have ancient pictures of stones being hauled on such sledges. But what happened when they got to the site? We're not completely sure. We think that as each layer of stones were laid, a ramp was built spiralling around the growing pyramid, which the stones were dragged up. When the pyramid was finished, the ramp was then removed. The problem is, we don't know what happened to all that rubble from the ramps. At the top of the ramp, each stone was probably finally positioned using long levers, as they didn't have pulleys. As Archimedes later said, Give me a place to stand, and with a lever I will move the whole world. So, who built the pyramids? Estimates of the number of people needed to build the Great Pyramid of Khufu range from 15,000 to 50,000. We used to think they were slaves, and old movies show thousands of these being whipped by cruel Egyptian slave masters. We now think that some were professional engineers and organisers who were paid an annual salary, and the rest were ordinary Egyptians who did shifts on the pyramid instead of paying taxes. While they were working on the pyramid, they were given beer and bread and shelter. These builders might even have been volunteers. In total, we think it took between 10 and 20 years to build the Great Pyramid. 
I hope this answers your question. Now, Arthur, you also wanted to know why mummies were wrapped in bandages. The ancient Egyptians believed in an afterlife, so they thought that after you died, you had a chance to live again forever in a wonderful sort of heaven. To get to this afterlife, they believed that you needed to take things from this life with you. That's why ancient Egyptian tombs like Tutankhamun's were full of things. They were for him to use in the next life. Sometimes those things were real items, like furniture and food. Sometimes they were models that could be magically turned into useful things, like servants. And sometimes they were written spells that let you have things in the afterlife. But most importantly was your body. To get to this next world, you needed to take your body intact with you. When you died, the Egyptians thought your spirit, or car as they called it, left your body. If your body was preserved, it could later re-enter your mummy, which would come back to life and off you'd go to the next world. But preserving bodies in a hot country like Egypt was tricky. To do this, they removed the internal organs and dried the body out. They then carefully wrapped it to protect it from the weather and dust and insects and anything that might hurt it. So the bandages were there to protect the preserved body so that the owner's spirit could come back to it and bring it back to life in the next world. I hope this answers your question. Thanks so much, Justin, for your excellent answer about mummies and the pyramids. I really hope that answered your questions, Arthur and Scarlett. Now, our next question is about human mummies that aren't wrapped in bandages, hopefully. And it's about families and how they began. The question comes from Beth. Over to Beth. Hello, my name is Beth. I am six years old and I like to dance and ask questions. But the question I need to know is... We've got a big family, and who was the first person in it? Because that first person had something born. So it's like, my mummy had a mummy, and then that mummy had a mummy, that mummy had a mummy, and that mummy had a mummy, and then it goes on and on and on. But who was the first person? Because they need to be born in, can't just be like lots of people. It's just so many people. I don't know how to answer the question. Thanks, Beth, for your excellent question. It's such a great one, and you put it so well. Well, I needed help for this answer, so I wrote to Adam Rutherford, who is a scientist, writer, and broadcaster who knows a lot about the history of us human beings, and I thought he would be the perfect person to help me answer your question. He said this. Hello, Beth, I'm Adam Rutherford and I'm an evolutionary biologist, which means I spend time thinking about questions just like yours. You're right, everyone has had two parents, a mum and a dad, which means that your family tree goes on and on and on, all the way back into the past. Now, we normally think that people have babies when they're about 25, on average, which means that a thousand years into the past is about 40 generations of mums and dads. But our species, which is called Homo sapiens, has been around for about 300,000 years, which means about 12,000 mums and dads have been born before we get to you. But we are part of a bigger family of humans. And in the past, there were lots of different types of humans. And they were in Africa all the way back to more than 3 million years ago. And they slowly changed over time. 
as time went on, we humans got less hairy, we walked on two feet, and our brains got bigger. But over three million years, that would be something like 120,000 mums and dads. But the humans are all part of an even bigger family, which is the primates, which now includes gorillas and chimps and orangutans, which goes back millions and millions of years, which are all your ancestors too. And we could keep going back to mammal ancestors who lived alongside the dinosaurs, such as funny-looking creatures called Jeremiah, which is about the size and shape of a dog, but is still your great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandmother. And before that, your ancestors were sort of fishy things. And before that, a bit like wormy things. And a bit before that, weedy things. And eventually we could go all the way back to the beginning of life itself, which was a tiny cell attached to a volcanic rock at the bottom of the sea about four billion years ago. So what we learn by looking at fossils and DNA of all sorts of animals that are alive or dead is that all living things are related to each other and an absolutely massive family tree that goes all the way back four billion years ago to the beginning of life itself. I hope that answers your question, Beth, and thank you so much for sending it in and a huge thank you to Alan Rutherford for sending me that brilliant answer. Our next question is also about babies. It's a very excellent question and it comes from Coco. Over to Coco. Hello, my name is Coco. I'm nine years old and I come from London. I like to horse ride and cook. And my question is, why don't babies sweat and grown-ups do? Thank you. Thanks, Coco, for your great question. It's an amazing but true fact that newborn babies don't sweat for the first few weeks of their life. That's because our bodies sweat through little things called sweat glands, G-L-A-N-D-S, sweat glands, and babies' ones haven't grown properly yet when they're first born. They take a few weeks to develop. Now, humans have two types of sweat glands with two scientific names. They're called eccrine and apocrine. You spell eccrine, E-C-C-R-I-N-E, and apocrine, A-P-O-C-R-I-N-E. The apocrine glands send sweat into our bodies through little holes where hairs come out of our body called hair follicles. But these ones don't work at all until a human is a teenager. The sweat that these sweat glands can be quite smelly. Now the other type of glands called eccrine glands start forming when the baby is inside its mummy's tummy. When the baby is four months old inside its mum's tummy, these little glands appear first on the palm of its hands and then on the bottom of the baby's feet. So by the time the baby has been growing in its mummy's tummy for five months, there are little eccrine sweat glands all over its body. And these start working when a newborn baby is a few weeks old. The first ones that start to work are on its forehead. And soon after that, a baby can sweat on its body. But brand newborns can't sweat. Because newborns can't sweat, its parents or people looking after the baby have to be really careful to keep the baby nice and cool. So if it's really hot, they must make sure the baby has a nice cool breeze and isn't wearing too many clothes because the baby can't sweat like we can to cool themselves down. Whereas grown-ups and bigger babies and children can. Babies and children then sweat with the eccrine glands. And then when they become teenagers on their way to being grown-ups, the other types of sweat glands, the eccrine ones, they start to work. They make stinky sweat, which luckily sweet little babies and children never have. 
only pongy teenagers and grown-ups. I hope that answers your question, Coco. And thanks for sending it in. Now, last week, I asked you all to send in your favourite ice cream flavours for a chance to win a copy of Space Detectives by Mark Powers and Dapo Adiola. And here are your entries. Molly, my name's Alice. I'm four years old. I live in London. And I like um, chocolate ice cream. Thanks, Molly. Bye. Hi, Molly. My name is Vidot. I'm six years old. My favourite ice cream flavour is mango and raspberry. Bye. Hi, my name's Edward. I'm four years old. I'm in Whitley Bay. I love riding my bike. My favourite ice cream is chocolate ice cream. Hi, Molly. I'm Jackson. I'm eight. I live in Germany. I like snakes and trains. My favourite ice cream is mint. Hi Molly, my name is George. I'm six years old. One of my favourite hobbies is swimming. My favourite ice cream is cherry. Um, my name is Eleanor and my age is six and I like spades and my favourite ice cream is mint chocolate. My name is Hope. I'm four years old. My favourite ice cream flavour is chocolate with sprinkles. Hi, Molly. My name is Christopher. I'm five years old. My interests are Stone Age and dinosaurs. And my favourite ice cream flavour is chocolate. Bye. It was impossible to pick a winner. So what we did was we got an ice cream cone and put all the names into it and picked two out. And the winners are... Beardshot and Eleanor. Congratulations, you two. You've won the competition. Send me your addresses and I'll ping you a copy of Space Detectives. Congratulations and thank you everyone for entering the competition. Tune in next week for another exciting competition. Right, that's it for this week. Wishing you all a very lovely week. A huge thank you to the wonderful Justin Pollard for talking to us about the Egyptians, their pyramids and mummies. And a big thank you to Arthur, Scarlett, Coco and Beth for this week's questions. And a big thank you to Adam Rutherford for telling us all about families and telling us who was the first mummy in Beth's family. A big thank you to Ash Gardner at House of Strange for the theme song and Audio Networks for all the lovely incidental music we use this week. And a thank you to Bloomsbury Books for the copies of Space Detectives. Wishing you all a very lovely week full of sunshine and lovely things. If you have a question you would like answered on everything under the sun, all you have to do is borrow an adult's phone and ask them to help you record your answer. What you have to do is open the voice recording app and record yourself saying your name, your age, a bit about yourself and ask me your question. And then ask your grown-up to send in the audio recording to molly at everythingunderthesun.co.uk so I can hear your questions and answer them as soon as I can. 
can. Also, if you like the show, remember to go to wherever you get your podcasts. And if you can, rate it, which takes about one second. And then if you feel like it, you could leave a lovely review wherever you listen, because apparently this helps other people to find the podcast. And I'd like everyone to know about everything under the sun. So tell all your friends to listen. I hope you all have a wonderful, wonderful week. Thank you so much for listening and goodbye.